welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. So we've talked about the idea of a carbon dividend on this podcast in which the government would impose a carbon tax or fee and the revenue from that would go to everyone under that government as a dividend. And in this episode, we are speaking with someone who is proposing something kind of similar, but the revenue would come not from taxing dirty energy, but from generating clean energy. So I had a chance to sit down with Robert Staten. He's the author of the book Power Shift and of the new book, Solar Dividends, How Solar Energy Can Generate a Basic Income for Everyone on Earth. So here's Jim's conversation with Robert Staten. Robert, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Good to be here. Now, you've just published a new book entitled Solar Dividends, How Solar Energy Can Generate a Basic Income for Everyone on Earth. And in it, you lay out a proposal for how we can both take on the climate crisis and at the same time, establish a universal basic income. Now, before we get into how this would work, can you just talk a bit about what was your motivation to come up with this proposal? Well, the idea was inspired by uh, basically four facts that um, I've acknowledged all my life as being pretty much incontestable. The first one is that solar energy itself is inexhaustible. The sun's been operating for 5 billion years and expected to operate for another 5 billion years. So we can rely on the sun. Um, The second one is that solar energy is available all over the world, Um, certainly more so in some places than others, but at least available. And then the key point is that solar energy has economic value, which I think is only now beginning to emerge as something that's important because we've relied on fossil fuels for the last 200 years. Um, acknowledging that solar energy has monetary value and um, is something that's fairly new. So that's something that I want to emphasize as one of the reasons for doing this. And the last point is that no one owns the sun. So everyone really has a right to a share of it. So that's what motivated me to get started with this project. All right. Well, let's get into the details. How would solar dividends actually work? Well, uh, the idea basically is that um, we use solar energy to generate money. And the way to do that would be set up a section of solar PV panels, like about 10 kilowatts per person, on a community solar farm, and then sell the electricity into the grid and use the money that you've derived from selling the electricity to, first of all, pay off the installation of the panels. And that would probably take a few years, depending on the economics of the situation and the time. And and then after that, the money that's derived from selling the electricity goes to the individual as their monthly basic income. And that's basically how it would work. Um, with the panels paying for themselves and the fact that the money is derived from solar energy means the money won't run out as long as the panels are maintained and replaced as needed. So that, I mean, that makes sense as, as a source of revenue, but if you are talking about doing it at the scale where you're actually giving everyone a, a full basic income, that's that's a pretty massive undertaking. So- well, yeah, um, I, I'd like to point out some differences of this scheme with most universal basic income schemes. Um, first, of course, is the source of the money. Um, it's derived from selling something that's vital to the economy uh, as a set of taxes. In, in a way, it's most similar to the Alaska Permanent Fund, which is based on a natural resource that derives money based on investments and then passes that on to people. But in this case, it's based on solar instead of oil. Um, and I like to point out that it would not be universal at the start. Um, I really call it unconditional basic income usually because it's physically not possible to build enough solar for everyone at once. And I see this as a long-term plan where we roll it out um, 
and on, on a regional or countrywide basis, um, depending on the commitment of who's doing it. But basically, um, we can't do it all at once. So we have to roll it out over, it'll be several decades actually before enough solar could be built to provide enough basic income for everyone. But once we do that, we will have generated so much solar electricity um, that we will be able to displace most of the fossil fuels that are currently being used and cut our carbon carbon emissions enormously. But in the long run, um, in a sense, this is uh, more universal than most basic income schemes because it uh, doesn't uh, it's not necessarily being run by an individual national, national government. The uh, program could be run on a local basis around a utility company. Um, it could be run at a state level or a national level, but it could also cross international boundaries so that because the solar energy can be generated uh, anywhere and the money can be distributed as needed. So it's it's not more flexible than most basic income schemes that are specifically tied to a government. Uh, entity. So you'd mentioned earlier, you noted that there is different places do get different amounts of sun. And, and that does seem like it would certainly make this easier in, in certain locations than others. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how, how do you see those differences manifesting? And, and does this, uh, is this actually going to work for everywhere? Or are there places where the amount of sun they get wouldn't allow for something like this? Well, I, I don't think I would try and set it up on the in the Antarctic, for example. Um, but most places in uh, that are inhabited by people actually do get enough sun, and there will be need to be some adjustments to make that work. Um, if you look at, at there's a um, program that the National Renewable Energy Laboratory um, in the United States offers that will compute the amount of electricity that a solar array generates in a given location. And if you run the numbers through that in different locations, you, there are actually some pretty surprising results. Um, I chose 10 kilowatts as a typical size for most of the U.S. And that would include places in the Midwest um, and uh, much of pretty much the country east to west. Um, there are extreme places like in uh, Arizona, for example, they get so much sun that you wouldn't need 10 kilowatts. You'd only need about eight kilowatts to generate the same amount of electricity. And if you go to Seattle, which everyone always um, uses as their example, the worst possible solar access is there is, um, it's actually not as bad as you think. You'd only need about 12 kilowatts. So it's only about 20% more, um, maybe 50% more, depending on where you live in Seattle, because there's a lot of microclimates up there too that might get it worse than others. But um, the idea that it is um, averaged over the year has a big effect because most people think of Seattle as being cloudy, but it's not always cloudy. And in the summertime, they do have sun. So the idea is to take the average annual solar in a site and compute the payment on the average over the course of the year. And that evens it out a bit. So you mentioned earlier that this would, you would start you wouldn't start everywhere, that, that you would have this in, in certain places, and then you, you could build out from there over time. Can you say a bit more about what that starting looks like? What what are the ways you're imagining that? Is, is this at the city level? Is it at the state level? Uh, is it national country doing it in, in, in certain areas? Like, what does that look like? Well, I, I think what actually has to be done first is to create some sort of pilot project um, so that we could demonstrate the mechanics of how it would work. And I think a pilot project would probably start fairly small. Um, for example, like the city of Stockton could 
could do something like this. And the idea being to demonstrate um, how it would work, um, how you would set up a solar farm with enough uh, panels set up for a given number of people. And the pilot program would, would generate income. And it depends on how the arrangement is made with the utility company and with the regulators of the utility company to determine how much you would get. Um, at current prices, um, the amount that you get in many places is, is pretty low. Um, the situation with utility companies controlling how much they pay for incoming solar electricity means that they try and pay as little as possible. And for the most part, utility regulators have to uh, would have to set the price at a higher level in order for this to be worthwhile. So, for example, if you're getting 10 cents per kilowatt hour for your solar electricity, that would for a 10 kilowatt array, that would only amount to about $100 a month. And I'm looking to for a program that would more closely approximate uh, the freedom dividend that Andrew Yang is proposing, which would be $1,000 a month. So that would put it up to closer to a dollar kilowatt hour, which of course is really high. And in order to justify that, we have to show what the benefits are and make sure that it's understood that the benefits are worth the cost. And what would happen over time is that the um, you would be paying maybe a dollar a kilowatt hour uh, to the solar community farm that would be generating solar dividends, but that wouldn't be the only source of electricity in the utility company. So it wouldn't show up as a dollar a kilowatt hour in everyone's bill. It would be averaged in with all the other sources of electricity. So when we get started, the effect would be fairly small. And that would gradually ramp up over time as more and more solar dividends are being paid and the solar dividends amount to a larger proportion of the electricity that people are using. So let's say I'm someone who works specifically in the environmental space. I'm definitely down with more solar energy, but maybe I'm nervous about embracing a policy that also includes basic income, either because I feel like it's a distraction or because I'd rather that money go to specific environmental efforts. What's your argument to me as to why I should support this approach? Um, I think it's because it addresses multiple problems at the same time, uh, making them mutually supportive. Um, it addresses both climate change and um, the issue of income insecurity, where the jobs are not being available for people. Um, and at the same time, it builds a sustainable energy system that can sustain it for a long time because solar energy obviously won't run out the way the oil will. And I understand that people might have concerns about it being a distraction, but the point is you can think of people wanting to do this as a motivating factor for building more solar farms um, because people would be in the position of gaining income from it, they would advocate for it. And I think it would create a strong advocacy group and it would be very broad because in the long run, everyone would be eligible for it. And in particular, I would imagine that parents would want to sign up their children for this because this would be a long-term project and could benefit the children for essentially the rest of their life and provide a basic income, a, a sort of platform, economic platform for them to build on so that they have some level of income security for the rest of their life. So um, I don't think it's in conflict. I think it complements most other environmental activities. Um, it's just another approach. All right. Well, Robert, those were all the questions I had for you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I just want to emphasize that they, I think there's a strong social justice component to this project. Over the last 
200 years, our energy system developed pretty much from fossil fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas, which were owned by a few people. And it generated a great deal of concentrated wealth. If you look at the Koch brothers, for example, and the power that they have. And solar energy gives society a unique opportunity to correct this inequality by um, making sure that everyone has a stake in the new solar energy system. I like to say there's not enough oil wells to go around, but there's enough sunshine for everyone. So that was Jim Pugh and Robert Staten on the Basic Income Podcast. For me, his his core ideas kind of break down into two main parts, which one, which doesn't have to involve a basic income, is socializing our utilities, our energy system, which I think he makes an interesting case for even if we don't have a basic income. And the other part of that, of course, is using the revenue from that to give dividends to everyone. I think you're right. I think there is there are those two different pieces here. And the latter, obviously, we're very familiar with from many previous ideas and many previous discussions. But I think looking at energy production as as something that, that should be a, really a shared good and that we all should be receiving benefits from from those outputs, I think that is that's obviously core to this idea here and something that has a lot of merits on its own. And obviously, I mean, you, you can do that through other dirty energy sources, but since we are already talking about making these transitions to renewables, why not along with that transition, transition the way we think about who actually reaps the rewards of what we're doing? One interesting thing that's implied by his argument is that solar energy is an economic win just like for for local governments or whoever is installing it that after a few years it pays for itself and so i think that part is a pretty easy case to make for for any government that's down to just have public energy and then then you kind of reduce to the debate you have around the carbon dividend of then do you use the funds for for other clean energy projects, for something else, or just to give it to to everyone. And I think he makes an interesting case around it being a social justice issue, around how our energy has traditionally been a source of wealth consolidation, and it could be a source of wealth distribution. Yeah, I, I do have to say that when I first heard the idea, the thought that this would be a global solution immediately made me somewhat skeptical, since I think there are some very good ideas out there about how things might happen across the world. But because of the way we make laws, because of the jurisdiction of of different nation states, it's very hard to get people to coordinate. But the thing I actually really like here, and and why I I think it does make sense, is he's not proposing this happens all at once. He's, He's saying that you can start very, very locally, in fact, even at the city level or even smaller, and be able to start piloting this. And so I I do think that this is, it seems like there's a lot of potential here that you could have some enterprising mayors say, all right, well, in our town now, we're going to really invest in solar and we're going to make sure all of our residents get to reap rewards from from doing that. And that's something that could, could really be expanded out from that level. Yeah. And that's what makes me feel like this idea is less, I mean, maybe it's utopian ultimately, but um, but could be enacted this year if if there was the political will for it, is the fact that the you could that it makes sense um, in the same way it makes sense for a person to put a solar panel on their own roof and it'll pay for itself in a few years. The same math applies, you know, scaled up to a, a city or a state or even an eccentric billionaire who just wanted to to see this happen. One thing that resonates with me about the proposal 
is the sustainability aspect that, I mean, solar panels, yes, there is some amount of maintenance that's required, but generally you're talking about setting up a system that will work in perpetuity going forward. And so you're you're building something that is meant to last. And I think that's somewhat in contrast with a carbon dividend, which is designed as a policy along with giving people dividends to decrease carbon output. And so if it's working, it eventually goes away. And I actually, I see there potentially being a lot of synergy between those two, actually. And, and this is something he does talk about in the book, that a carbon dividend, it, it takes a while to ramp up the solar dividend, whereas a carbon dividend starts high. So if you combine the two, you can potentially getting people money quite quickly that then does sustain over time as you make that transition. I think one of the sort of subtle aspects of the plan, but it would be a political challenge, let's say, is be raising the price that utilities pay for clean energy. Because when we think about a carbon dividend, I'm used to thinking of that as, you know, you can get that up to 100, maybe a few hundred dollars per month per person when it's when you get the price of carbon really high. And what he's proposing is just raise the price that utilities pay for solar energy, which basically means taking over the utilities. Yeah, I think that I agree that that seems like a challenge to to figure out how how that would work in in a way that was politically acceptable to people. I honestly don't actually see that as a strict requirement for the policy because even if you don't do that, it's true it means you're not getting as much money, but with prices today, you could still be getting a, a very substantial dividend from that. And so if that means that has to be supplemented through other sources, that could still be a great foundation for for providing people with a basic income. Yeah. And even if we only get lots of public solar energy and $100 a month per person, I'll take it. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If folks are interested in learning more, you can go to solardividends.org. You'll be able to order the book there and also find out what sort of discussions are being had about the policy. That'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. And we have an exciting new way in which you can support the Basic Income Podcast. Um, And that is through providing a small amount of monthly funds to us. And you can do that at glow.fm slash basic income. Again, that's glow, G-L-O-W dot F-M slash basic income. In addition to supporting our work, you will will get a shout out at the end of an episode and an invitation to a private supporters only Slack channel. So check it out at glow.fm slash basic income. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. And if you like what you hear, please do rate and review us on the podcast service of your choice. We'll talk to you next time.